Welcome to the One New Man Network from Kirtlandry Ministries at House of David, where we learn about the Jewish roots of the Christian faith. The following is a replay of a previous service. Tonight we're going to talk about promise. How many of you have ever had someone make a promise to you? How many of you have ever made a promise? Now the ones of you who didn't raise your hands, now wait a minute. <laughs> Rabbi talked Friday night about heritage, activating it. Thought about identity, purpose, destiny, legacy. All of that's possible because of the promise of God. God began dealing with humanity with a promise. And God is a promise-keeping God. He is a God of promise. There is always a hope that is in the Lord. So tonight we're going to begin with John chapter 7, and verse 37. And this is Jesus speaking about what, really what God's purpose has been from uh, the very beginning. God made a promise that he was going to restore mankind. You know, God made man in his image, set him in a perfect environment, came and fellowshiped with him and walked with him. And everything from that point on, whenever God finished the creation, he looked at all of his creation and he said, behold, it's good. Everything from that point on, from whenever Adam fell, the Lord's promise has been, I'll restore you, I'll redeem you, I'll, re I'll bring you back to you know, a full restoration to where, to where you began. And you know, I don't really believe uh, God was all that mad at Adam and Eve, but he was mad or has been an ongoing thing as far as the real battle has always been against the principalities and the powers, the, the rebellion that has was been going on for a long time with, with Lucifer, with Satan. And so his point in all of this is what he's been doing all through the creation, all through the pages of the Bible and down through history, was the purpose of bringing us back into a full relationship with him. And I mean a full relationship with him. Not a partial restoration, but a totally full restoration. Whenever uh, the Lord began to deal with Israel and he brought Israel out and he, he showed them or gave them the law, brought them to Mount Sinai. You know, he, he told Moses, Moses said, I want to see your glory. And he told Moses, you can't see my glory just yet, but there's a place that you can see part of it, but there's going to be an ultimate fulfillment to where we can come back and we can have that close face-to-face -face encounter. But there's a process of getting there. And part of that is that we have to be able to receive the promise. It's one thing for God to make a promise, it's another and for us to receive that promise and then to believe it and to act on it. So in John 7 and 37 it says, on the last day, the great day of the feast, this is Jesus um, in Jerusalem at the Feast of Tabernacles, it says it's on the great day of the feast, this is Hoshana Rabbah, uh, this is the, the closing ceremony, so to speak, the water pouring ceremony of the Feast of Tabernacles. And it's a great, I mean, time of great rejoicing. I mean, it's, 
lots of ceremony. There's lots of stuff going on when they're pouring out the water and they're, um, you know, they're they're waving the palm fronds. They're, they're, you know, it's it's a it's a spectacle. But it's rejoicing about bringing the hope back to the nation of Israel and also back to all humanity about a restored relationship. It's in that setting that Jesus makes this declaration. The great day Jesus stood and cried out. Now, whenever he cried out, understand it, he has the attention, the full attention of the whole nation. He is standing on the, you know, on the steps of the temple. He's not doing this quietly. Everybody, every eye has been, you know, they're watching what's going on and through all the ceremonies. And here's this rabbi that everybody's been talking about. Here he is, front and center, making the declarations. He says, if anyone thirst, notice this is going on during the water pouring ceremony. If anyone thirst, let him come to me and drink. He who believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. When Jesus, I mean, when the Lord began in creation back in Genesis, it says that he came and his spirit hovered over the face of the waters, right? Then it says the Lord spoke. He says, let there be light. And it all started from that point. Well, Jesus is the light of the world. So what happens is from the very beginning, there was a, where was the declaration that the light of God was coming upon the waters. And you can go a lot of different directions. We're not going to go as, too terribly deep into, into that, that side of things tonight. But the declaration was is that from that point where light was going to shine and was going to overcome the darkness, and he says, out of these waters is going to come life. There is one thing about being on the you know, observing water, and there's another thing to have to be as connected to the fountain of waters. All right. From the very beginning, Adam was connected to the fountain of living water. You know, it says that in the garden there was a there was four rivers that that watered the garden. In the midst of the garden, there was a tree of life. All of those waters, uh, from what I have understood from different rabbinic sources, all those waters actually began there at the tree of life. They actually flowed from that. There was a particular place in a particular spot that this was the, the center of the earth, so to speak. This was the focal point where God had placed uh, his most important creation, which was man. His most um, cherished and prized uh, fellowship com companion, so to speak. Jesus makes the statement, says, if you'll believe me, there is a restoration that can happen that out of your inner being, the things that seem dry and that seem um, your problems, your troubles, your different things, they can be met by having a fountain of living water. When Jesus dealt with the Samaritan woman, he said, you know, I met, he asked her for a drink and she said, you know, why would you speak to me? I've been a Samaritan and you know, all this stuff and you know the conversation. Jesus said, if you knew who was talking with you, you would have asked of me and I would have given you living water. If you knew who talked with you, you would have asked of me and I would have given you living water. Now here he's making a declaration, not only to this, to a Samaritan woman, he's making a declaration to a nation and to the world. If you'll believe in me, as the scripture has said, in other words, he's going back to everything from where he began with, that there's going to be a restoration. There is going to be a time 
where that living water begins to flow out of the individual, no longer just an outside experience, but an inside experience. The promise that scriptures have said, there's gonna be fulfillment of those promises. In Luke 24 and 49, it says that I will, behold, I send the promise of my father upon you. I'm sending a promise to you. The promise is the restored relationship. The promise is that there's a fountain for you. The promise is that the relationship that you once had as far as in the glory of the Lord and the clothing that you had can be restored to you. But he says, behold, I send the promise of my father up on you. Jesus is making a statement to his disciples and to his, the people who believed on him. So what, how, do we, how do we process this promise? I'm sending you the promise. Well, describe to me what the promise really is. And how do, how, do we, how do we engage in that? Then he goes on and says, but tarry in the city of Jerusalem until you are endued with power from on high. And we know he's talking about the Holy Spirit that was to come, but he's also talking about more than that. His instruction to, this, to the disciples was that they needed to be in a particular place at a particular time for the promise to come into fruition, for the promise to be in its full effect, okay? In John chapter 20, verse 22, when he said this, he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. Receive the Holy Spirit. Why was the Holy Spirit so important? Why was, you know, Jesus over and over, you know, you'd think that here's the Son of God. He's, um, he's declaring the kingdom. He's preaching the good news, the gospel. He's healing the sick. He is uh, feeding the multitudes. He's causing the blind to say, you know, he's, he's the answer to a lot of people's questions, problems, situations. He's it but he's limited in the fact that he's in human form and he can only be in one spot at one time, just here and now. And so it's, you know, the witness there was that whenever the crowds showed up, there was only so much of Jesus to go around, right? You couldn't, you know, you had to be able to get to him and to touch him. You know, they'd come and they touched the hem of his garment. They would do all these different things. Now he spoke in a lot of things and things happened on, on a corporate level but also he was limited in the fact of the physical limitations of what he had laid down when he came and he took on the form of man. Okay, that's what I'm trying to get across. So his instruction was that I'm gonna call out a group of people, I'm going to empower them, I'm gonna give them the Holy Spirit. He said, I'm breathing on you so that in response to the breath of life that began in man and man became a living soul back in the garden, now he says, I'm going to restore part of that so that when I breathe on you again, the Holy Spirit is going to come and begin a process of restoration in your life. Now, when we get the Holy Spirit, now when we're saved, you get a part. You get a part of what God really wants for you to. There's a beginning place. Now, one small part of God means that you really get all of God. But our understanding has to be brought to a place of maturity with that. 
So God's promise is that I'm going to send the Holy Spirit to you who's going to begin the process of changing you from the inside out. As he begins to change you from the inside out, your heart, the place where the Lord dwells, the place that the Lord has always dwelt and wanted, there's, there's, there's just a particular, a certain size, so to speak, inside of each and every person that is perfect place for habitation for God to live and dwell. He chooses to dwell inside of each and every one of us. His promise is that I'm going to take that place that has been empty or that has been tried to be filled with other things and I'm going to restore it. I'm going to cause a fountain, which Jesus was making the claim in the verse earlier, that I am the fountain of living waters. Any man who comes to me says out of his belly or out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. That's the promise. So God wants us to receive his spirit, begin the process, and as that spirit comes and sets on each and every one of us, it begins a process of changing, transforming us, renewing our mind, changing our hearts so that we can begin to believe God. If you look at the lives of the disciples up until they received the Holy Spirit, there was one of, you know, they would, at one moment they would be on top of the world and let's call down fire from heaven and anybody that doesn't agree with us. Or that they would, you know, they would go from that high level to, you know, it's extreme doubt. And, or, you know, they're crossing, a, you know, the Sea of Galilee and a storm comes up and they're all fearful for their lives. It just, there was, you know, they was all over the, the map, so to speak. They really didn't know who they had when they was in the presence of the Lord. It hadn't been fully revealed to them who they was walking with. They say, you know, we know that you're the Messiah. We know that you're the son of God. And yet all they could, as far as they could go, so to speak, was the limits of what their mind, of what they perceived God was able to do. God was wanting to take them much farther. That's why it says it's imperative for you that I go away so that the Holy Spirit can come. Another comforter will come to you. As he was doing that, and he breathed on them and received the, the Holy Spirit, in Acts 1st chapter, verse 4, it says, And being assembled together with them, he commanded them not to depart from Jerusalem. Again, the reminder is, go back to Jerusalem. Why Jerusalem? Why Jerusalem? Why Jerusalem? It's because this is the particular place that God has chosen it says to place his name there. A lot of people believe, a lot of scholars believe that Jerusalem is actually the place of the Garden of Eden. That this is the place where God chose, even you know, whenever after the fall and after the flood and everything, everything was changed, but that there was this particular place that was hidden, so to speak, that now he is restoring and returning to Jerusalem. So he commanded them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait. How hard is it to wait? Almost all of us have a, a terrible time of waiting. And it says, wait on the Lord. Those who wait on the Lord shall what? Renew their strength. Well, what strength? If you're waiting on the Lord, I'm saying it's, it's, it's very difficult to wait on the Lord because we want to do something. 
We want to help God out. It's not happening fast enough here, God. Let's do something. Wait in Jerusalem. Do not depart from Jerusalem, but wait, it says, for the promise of the Father. Wait. My dad used to say, wait is what broke the wagon down. It's really hard to wait on the Lord. All through Scripture, you'll see that over and over, the Lord would wait in a certain situation and people would get nervous and have to do something. Saul, a prime example, he was told to wait for Samuel. And go, I can't wait. The people are being scattered from me. There's an army. There's a battle that's coming. I've got to do something. So he goes and he steps into the wrong office and he um, makes a mess of things. If we can't wait on God, uh, you better get some duct tape out and do something to try to keep yourself positioned so that you don't get ahead of God. Okay? Wait for the promise. God's promise is that I will meet your need. I will show up. I will not leave you as orphans. I will not abandon you. I'll never leave you. I'll never forsake you. I will always come to you. He says, which he said, you have heard from me. Jesus is making a statement here. You heard it from me. I'm the source. I'm the voice. I'm the one who has declared that if you'll wait for the promise of the father, he will send it to you. He will not leave you with broken promises. He will send it. It says, for John truly baptized with water. We get back to the water issue, and Jesus keeps bringing that up. John truly baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. When John came and baptized in his ministry there at the Jordan, John was the voice, it says, of one crying in the wilderness. He was the fulfillment of a prophecy that he was going to be a forerunner of the Messiah. It says that all Israel, from Jerusalem, Judea, all the surrounding areas, all the different tribes, they came to John to be baptized. He was preaching a message of what? Repentance. He was preaching a message of, let's get ready for Messiah. Let's get ready for God to come. Our hearts have to change. There has to be something that happens. He says, make straight his paths. So what he was calling was he was calling for a national revival, a turning back to our hearts to God. If our hearts are turned towards God, what happens is there's going to be a reciprocation from the Father. There's going to be something that's going to happen. There's going to be a transformative work that happens. So Jesus makes the testimony that John was baptizing with water, and he was there at the Jordan, and there was lots of people that were coming to him and were being baptized. When Jesus shows up on the scene, John says, look, I don't want to baptize you because I need to be baptized with the baptism that you have. And Jesus corrected him, said, look, we've got to do this for righteousness sake, because rightfully you should be the high priest. You should be the, the one who's leading the Aaronic priesthood, but the priesthood needs to be changed. So we're going to do, do things according to uh, order and according to the prescription that the, the, the father has sent to us so that we can receive the full promise. 
so that the Holy Spirit can come. When Jesus was baptized, when John finally consented and allowed Jesus to be baptized, who showed up? It says when he came out of the water, it says the Holy Spirit descended like what? A dove and sat on him. But it also says what? The heavens were opened. There was a portal that was created for the power and the presence of God to begin a a process again of flowing into mankind to restore us to the place of fellowship. So this was part of the promise. He says, John was baptizing with water, but now you're going to be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Now Jesus is making the statement that says, because I'm going away and the day of Pentecost is coming. And because it's coming, it's a, it's a reminder of what took place at Mount Sinai when the power of God came upon the mountains whenever Moses was receiving the, the commandments. So he's receiving the, the instruction for building a tabernacle. Uh, he was receiving the Ten Commandments. He was receiving the, the law of how to, to live your life, to, to be in communion with the Lord. It's a reminder of that. But when that comes, he says, the Holy Spirit came upon that mountain and that mountain was burning with fire. And it says, everybody was afraid of it. Now he says, this Holy Spirit is going to come at the same time period on a different mountain, but it's the same spirit. It's a different mountain. One of them was a picture of dealing with the flesh. Now God's dealing with a picture of God's spirit and God's power coming and dealing with humanity upon mankind, a spiritual encounter. Changing the spirit, because one thing is, you know, the, the outside, John's dealing with dipping people in the water was cleansing people on the outside. That's, that's really kind of what the law was about, to reveal to us that we have sin. The Holy Spirit comes and deals with us with a, into our spirit man and begins to change us from the inside out and changes our very nature into that that we can have fellowship and communion and then now we can have an open conversation with the Lord. Jesus spent a lot of time in prayer, right? He spent a lot of time communion with his father. He would have to go off by himself. He'd go off to the mountains and he'd leave everybody else and he'd go spend time with his father. Why? Because he needed that fellowship and that relationship. He needed the encounter with his father. We as believers today need the encounter with our father. You need the power of the Holy Spirit to give you the courage to stand when nobody else is standing. To be able to have the courage to go and stand on the temple mount and say, if anyone thirsts, let him come unto me and out of his heart's gonna flow rivers of living water. Not everybody was happy that Jesus was saying that. The Pharisees were incensed at that. So there was the outside versus what was going to happen on the inside. And the reason why is in Acts chapter 2 and verse 39, it says, For the promise is to you and your children. The promise is to you. This is Peter speaking. The promise is to you and your children. So to the Jew... To all who are far off, the Gentile, and as many as our Lord God will call. The Holy Spirit has come with us with the distinct purpose of bringing God back to us. 
bringing the power that Adam had in the garden, bringing that power back to bear so that these disciples who were fearful and all over the place after they received the Holy Spirit turned the world literally upside down. So as many as our, our Lord God will call, it's basically it's whosoever will. Then Paul goes on and states in Galatians chapter 3, says that the blessing of Abraham might come upon the Gentiles in Christ Jesus, that we might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. God made a promise to Abraham. What was the promise to Abraham? Come out of the land of your fathers, come out of Ur of the Chaldees, come out of the fire of idolatry, Come to the land of Canaan, the land that I will show you, the land of promise. Because if you'll come there to this land of Canaan, where Jerusalem happens to be, if you'll come to this particular spot, there I'm going to make a promise to you that you're going to have offspring and children. And he made this promise when he didn't have any children. And he says, you're going to inherit this. There's going to be an inheritance that comes to you. Well, what is he, you know, is it just a piece of land that God was concerned with? And I don't believe so. And if you believe that, that's, that's just one small part of what God's promise to his people are, is that you're going to get to inherit a piece of property or a piece of land. What he was promising to him was a restoration of what had been there before. From before the flood. There was a lot bigger picture here. And Abraham, it says, whenever he came and he looked, he was asked to go up to Mount Moriah and offer his son and all this stuff. And it says he saw the place afar off. And Jesus then comes back later on, hundreds of years later, and says, Abraham rejoiced to see my day. And he saw it. And everybody took issue with him and said, you're not 30 years old. You're not, you know, you're, how can you have seen Abraham or Abraham have seen you? Are you just plain nuts? But the promise to Abraham and what Abraham saw was that there was going to be a restoration. The son that you're offering, that I've asked you, your only son, the promised son. There's going to be a replacement for that son. There's going to be another ram in the thicket. Abraham made the statement when he went up to the hill. He says, look, he says, the lad and I are going to go up and we're going to come back. Isaac asked Abraham, where's the lamb? He says, the Lord will provide. And he did, Jehovah Jireh. And God did provide a lamb. And God did provide a lamb. And God did provide a lamb in the person of Jesus Christ who came and took our place. He took the promised son's place to provide a promise so that we can have restoration and complete restoration. That the blessing of Abraham might come upon the Gentiles in Christ Jesus, that we might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. The thing is, is that God's made the promise, but can we receive the promise that the Spirit of God is ours? The Holy Spirit. See, a lot of times we can speak in tongues. We can have different gifts of the Spirit operating. And that's wonderful. And that's that's what the Lord wants us to do. But the Lord wants us to go farther than that. To begin to believe the possibilities of what can take place through the Spirit operating through not somebody else's life, not rabbis, not you know, some other television evangelist or something like that. 
God wants to work through you. You need to listen. God wants to work through you. This promise, this Holy Spirit is capable of much more than we're asking of him. We might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith, but we have to have faith. Galatians 3, 29. If and if you are Christ, how many of you can say, I am Christ's? I belong to Christ. Christ purchased me. Okay? You're making a statement. I belong to Christ. I accept the sacrifice that he made for me. That means that you belong to him. You've been bought with Christ. You're not your own any longer. You belong to Christ. That's not a bad thing to, to belong to. That's not a bad place to be. If we are Christ, says, then you are Abraham's seed. And if you're his seed, it says, and you are heirs according to the promise. What does it say that, we'll, we'll press this a little bit farther. Abraham received a promise that he was going to go to a land that he was going to have offspring and that he was going to, and that they were going to inherit the land. But it also says in Hebrews that there was something else that Abraham was looking for. What was he looking for? He said he was looking for a city. He was looking for a place of habitation. Now, Abraham had some, some marvelous experiences with God. It's not everybody that's sitting out by his tent door one day and here comes the Lord and two angels walking up to you and have dinner with you. That's a pretty good little experience. And then it also says that Abraham was called a friend of God, right? A friend of God. His heirs have certain privileges. That means that as heirs through Jesus Christ, of the promises that God made to Abraham, everything that he promised him is available to you today. Abraham was able to go into warfare uh, numerous times, impossible odds, and yet come out victorious with no loss of any of his people. That's pretty good. That's pretty good. Because I promise you right now that there's lots of warfare that's going on in the world. And we as believers need to be in a position to where we don't have to suffer a bunch of casualties. Because we haven't been able to appropriate the power of the spirit and the inheritance that's ours because of who we are. You are Christ's. You belong to him. His power and his blood flows through your veins. We need to be able to make declarations. Abraham made certain declarations and God was honoring to that. We also need to be able to make the declarations that we're children of promise. Galatians 4 and 28. Now we, brethren, as Isaac was, are children of promise. How many of you see yourself as a child of promise? Sometimes we do. There's a lot of times we make other statements out of our mouth. That's why I say sometimes it's good to have some duct tape so that we don't do something that gets us in a problem and gives the enemy 
a place or grounds for accusation and grounds for attack against us. Ephesians 1 verse 3. Blessed be the God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every, 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 every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. Well, some people will argue and say, well, that's, you know, that's in heavenly places, you know, and I know that when I get to heaven, then all these blessings. No, you can have some heaven right here. You can have the blessings. If that's, you know, if, if only our hope is over there, then like I say, it's just like, no, there's, we're, we're living far below the standards and the level that God purchased for us, that Jesus Christ purchased for us in heavenly places in Christ, just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world. Understand, this is an ongoing plan. Before the foundation of the world, the Lord already had instituted what he was going to do, how he was going to deal with the rebellion. Before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love. Before the sin was committed, God had a plan. Before Adam sinned, God had a plan to deal what? With Adam? No, not necessarily. Adam is just, he's just the tool that's being used here. He is, a, he is, the, he is the, um, the apple of God's eye, so to speak, to prove that God is a God of love, compassion, and mercy, and dealing with a rebellion from the fallen angels and the accusation that they were making against God and God was gonna make a show of them openly. Having predestined us, and this is where you can get in trouble. We used to talk about predestination. Some people say, oh, you know, that's, well, you can't change anything if it's predestined. Oh, yes, you can. The choice is yours. God knows what you're gonna choose, but he still never takes the choice away from us having predestined us to adoption as sons by Jesus Christ to himself. So you have been brought in, adopted as sons, according to the good pleasure of his will, to the praise of the glory of his grace, by which he made us accepted in the beloved. You are accepted. I don't know how many times I have uh, talked with people who are trying to win God's acceptance. You're already accepted. You're already accepted. So many people ask me, so, well, you know, I don't want to miss it. I don't want to miss it. I don't want to miss it. You're not going to miss it. All right? You're not going to miss it. He's a good Abba. There was a man that came out and visited this last week, he was a brother-in-law to the man that one of the men that works for me, and he brought out two of his children, and they were about four and five, I would guess, in that range, a boy and a girl, and um, they hadn't seen some of the equipment that we had, and so you know, little kids can get excited when it's. There's a big green John Deere tractor and a combine and semis and 
And so they were taking it all in. And you could see the excitement in their eyes because they'd not been around anything like that. And so whenever they was trying to put the little kids up and we was going to go down and load some trucks and the little kids were a little hesitant about being put up in the semi. They thought that was too tall. That's, that's big. They came to the tractors and to the combines like, oh, no, 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 no. I mean, it's just like, you know, it's, it's, that's too much. That's, that's really big. So as we, we finally did get into the semis and we went down to the bins and we began loading. And I was watching as we was loading. He took the little kids and he was walking around the scales and up and down the lane just a little bit. And he was holding them hand in hand. Had a little boy on one side and a little girl on the other. And they were just walking down the lane. And the little kids were just skipping and just, you know, having a good time because they was holding on to daddy's hands. Children of promise. They knew that they didn't have anything to fear. Now, some of the stuff that they were seeing was new to them. But as long as they were in daddy's hands, all was good. God loves his children. There may be some things that you haven't seen before. There may be some things that look awfully big to you. But God's promises is that I'm going to hold you by your hand. And we're going to walk through this journey. And you don't need to worry because I'm keeping you. That's the promise. He made us accepted in the beloved. He made us accepted. So now when we, we face a situation that seems too large for us, you know, some of us, as we get a little bit of age to us, I didn't say you was old. I just said as we get a little age to us, sometimes we like to deal with things in our own way. And then after we've dealt with things in our own way, we'll cry out, help! Instead of beginning the process of, Lord, how do we go through this making him the partner, making him the head. You know, I used to see all these signs years ago about God is my co-pilot. If I were you, I would make him the pilot in charge. Yeah. Ephesians 1 and 7, in him we have redemption through his blood. Number one, in him we have redemption. You've been redeemed from everything, every hindrance, every sin, every stain. It's as if it never happened. God's blood, Jesus' blood is so powerful that it expunges every hint of sin's stain from our lives. Does that mean you're perfect? Well... You may be in process. God's okay with that because his son is the perfect one. His blood is what he sees when he looks at you. In him, we have redemption through the blood. If we have redemption and it says that we have 
forgiveness of sins. He doesn't hold it against you. You don't have to work your way to get good enough to receive the promise from the Father. We have the forgiveness of sins. It says, according to the riches of his grace. How rich is God? How rich is God? I don't know that you could put a figure on that. The riches of God's mercy go beyond what we can imagine or think. God's power is awesome, which he made to abound toward us in all wisdom and prudence. God knows what he's doing. God knows what he's doing. How many of you, you know, I, and I've said this myself, God, have you prayed about this? Have you thought about this? Are you, you really, is, is this the plan? Is this the way? Ay, ay, ay. No, God knows what he's doing. It's all wisdom and prudence. Having made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in himself. Wait a minute. When you read that real fast. Having made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in himself. What's that saying? It's all about God. Plain and simple, it's all about God. God purposed in himself. He knows the weaknesses that we have, so he put it all on him. That's a great deal. He put it all on him. That in the dispensation of the fullness of times, he might gather together in one all things in Christ. In the fullness of times, in the fullness of times, in the fullness of times, you're living in the fullness of times. He will gather together in one all things in Christ. The simple fact that you're sitting in a house in Fairland, Oklahoma, as a one new man congregation, Jew and Gentile coming together, being restored, tells you that in the fullness of times and Jews are getting saved worldwide, that's an indicator that you're living in the fullness of times. Both which are in heaven and on the earth in him. In heaven and in earth, in heaven and in earth. The Lord makes a conduit from heaven to earth so that there's a conversation that goes on from heaven to earth, from earth to heaven. You have access. In him also we have obtained an inheritance. You have an inheritance. You have an inheritance. You have an inheritance. Where? Oh, you got to die to get it. No, you don't. Someone else died so that you could get it. Being predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. That we also who first trusted in Christ should be to the praise of his glory. Saying that if we've trusted him, if we understand that we have an inheritance, then our lives should be reflecting the same thing that Jesus Christ was doing. He said, I've come to do the will of my father. As a son, as a son or a daughter, each and every one of us have the same opportunities 
of doing the will of our Father, which is to represent in a darkening world the light and the love of Jesus Christ. Plain and simple. The promise of the Spirit coming to us is so that we can be a light in the world. If you'll fulfill that promise that he has made to us so that his spirit can be in us and flow through us and there's rivers of living water that's coming out of us, it will change the world that you live in. Instead of being on the receiving end, you're on the giving end. Instead of the world changing you, you're changing the world. Ephesians 1 and 13. In him you also trusted. How many of you trust God? Do you trust him? Do you trust him? If he asks you to do something, will you trust him? Abraham was asked to offer his son. Sometimes the Lord will ask some big things of you. But if you really trust him, if you really trust him, the rewards are miraculous. After you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also, having believed, you were what? Sealed. You've been sealed. You've been sealed. You've been sealed. What does it mean to be sealed? Well, there's numerous kinds of being sealed. There's some people that seal asphalt. They paint that stuff on there so water can't get in and the elements can't get in. There's other things that you seal things if you're going to put them, you put them in bags and seal them so that you can keep that for a long period of time. There's also sealed that there's a stamp that's put on something. This belongs to whatever the seal representing. The Holy Spirit does all of those things. He seals against outside elements. The encroachments from the enemy. The Holy Spirit is the seal. He's the anchor to your soul. He can put you in a, an enclosure to where you're preserved through hardships and hard times and cold temperatures. There's also the stamp that on each and every one of you, there's a name that's written that says who you belong to. You belong to him. You're sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise of the gospel of, of our salvation in whom also having believed you were sealed with the promise who is the guarantee of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession to the praise of his glory. So this sealing guarantees this is better than the good housekeeping seal of approval. The Holy Spirit of promise is a guarantee. So when people ask me, well, you know, I don't want to miss it. How do I know that I'm not going to miss it? Can the Holy Spirit's guarantee be broken? 
No. No. People will say then, well, then you're talking about eternal security. Mm, yeah. I am. I am. God is able to keep us in the center of his will. God is able to keep you. Does that mean that he takes your choice away? As some people say, no, it doesn't. But when you've got this kind of a deal, who would turn your back on that? If they want to, that's them. But it says that they were never part of it. They were never part of it. It says those that went out from us, he says they were never really part of us. They only pretended for a while. God's people, God's people, those who he has chosen, those whom he has sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. God has a way of correcting us and keeping us. God has a way. He never interferes with your free choice, though. And if there's cards and letters, send them to Rabbi. <laughs> He's the guarantee of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession. What was purchased? This. Right here. A little bit of dirt. Just a little bit of dirt. But it was redeemed by the precious blood of Jesus Christ. So now that it's become not just a little piece of dirt, now it's become the throne of the Most High God. Your heart, if you could understand how important your heart is to God, He so longs for your heart. He said, David, I have chosen because I found a man who was after my heart. God wants your heart. He's provided all of this stuff just so he can get in touch and restore our hearts to him. To the praise of his glory in Hebrews 10. Therefore, do not cast away your confidence, which has great reward. Don't cast away your confidence. Don't get discouraged. Don't fret. Don't give up. When everything seems to be going wrong and it's just like, I don't know if I can go on, it's time when you get to that point, whenever you're going through the hardest trials, it's time to refocus and get your eyes back on Jesus. Put your hand back in the Father's hands. It's okay. I wish I'd have taken a picture of that gentleman with his two children. It so impacted me. I'm not going to tell you the, some of the other parts of the story of that because of the way they were dressed that so impacted me. But it spoke volumes to me about how the father takes care of his children. God's taking care of you. His promise is to you and to your children. God has sent us his spirit. Don't cast away our confidence, which is great reward. For you have need of endurance, so that after you have done the will of God, you may receive the promise. So it's time to endure. Are you sure, Lord?
sometimes it's really easy just to throw in the towel and quit and try to do something different. Oh, this didn't work for me. Let's try plan B. Oh, let's try plan C. Let's try plan D until we've gone through the whole alphabet. And it's just kind of like the Lord says, well, you know what? I'm still here with plan A. I'm still here. I haven't went anywhere. I'm waiting on you to come back and collect your inheritance. And I've also sent my spirit to help bring us back. Bring us back. We'll receive the promise. And this is in closing in 1 John 2 and 25. And this is the promise that he promised us. This is the promise. What is it? Dash. See, the dash is important. Did you know that? The dash is the most important part of your life. If you go to a cemetery and you look on the stone, it'll say a, a date that begins and a date that it ends. And there's a dash in between. The dash is what's important. The dash get, leads us to that, eternal life. Eternal life. Well, when does eternal life begin? Now. Not when you die. It says God is the God of the living, not of the dead. He's the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. God is not the God of the dead. He's the God of the living. There's a man that lives up by us that just passed away. He's a very close friend. He passed away Sunday. Good man of God. I'm going to miss him tremendously. His family is suffering because, you know, you're never ready to let loose of somebody. You're never ready. But the hope, the hope of the promise is that while this earthly tabernacle may have run its course and run its race, the man that was there, I know, is farming because he was a farmer. He was a hard-charging farmer. His favorite saying, we got to go. We got to go. Well, he's gone. But he's gone to a place where he can farm now without restrictions. He's in the presence of his family and friends. He's in the presence of the Lord because of a promise that was made. He trusted in Jesus. He trusted in the salvation. He trusted in the Holy Spirit. Henceforth, there's an inheritance that's laid out. Are you ready to receive the promise? Can you walk in the power of the Spirit? Can you do the things that Jesus did? That's a good question. And I can answer it for you if you don't know the answer. The, the answer is, yes, I can because greater is he that's in me than he that's in the world. 
The power of the Holy Spirit is yours. The promise is to you. Jesus said, wait in Jerusalem. Wait, you're going to see I'm going to restore everything. 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 Nothing broken, nothing lost. That's the promise. That's mine. That's mine. That's mine. I'm not giving up on it. There's nothing on this earth that's worth letting loose of the promise and letting loose of the hands of my Father. He's more than able to keep me. The Apostle Paul said it this way, I am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I have committed against that day. Paul had went through all sorts of hardships, trials, disappointments, conflicts, everything that you can name. Paul conquered because of the promise, who he belonged to, the power of the Holy Spirit. So tonight, in Yeshua's name, in Yeshua's name, in Yeshua's name, in Yeshua's name, in Jesus' mighty name, may the power of the Holy Spirit come and overshadow each and every one of you. May we receive the promise of the Father. May the power of that Spirit come, take up residence, and ignite us to walk in the strength and the power of that Spirit. May we be, Father, the witnesses that you have called us to be. May we function and operate fully in the restored power of the spirit and in the relationship and may we have open access father i pray that everyone within the sound of my voice that so desires to receive the promise may they walk in the fullness of that promise may the the portals of heaven be open may the windows of heaven be open so that they can access into the courts of heaven and call down the things that are in heaven to earth so that father you may be glorified and father tonight we thank you and we praise you Lord, that you are able to keep everything that we commit to you to cause it to come to pass, to come to fruition because of your love for us, because of the power that you have poured out inside of us. May the power of the Holy Spirit, may the fire of the Holy Spirit, may the streams of living water flow from each and every one of your people tonight. Father, we thank you. We praise you and we receive the promise and we will walk in your promise in Yeshua's mighty name, and if you're in agreement, you would say amen, amen and amen. If you'd stand with me. So, Father, tonight we thank you for the word of God. We thank you that you're a God of promise. We thank you that you never fail. We thank you that you meet every need. Father, I thank you for the miracles that are being poured out into your people. Lord, that will happen and transpire through the spirit of God that is in residence within your people. Father, I ask that you would stir up that gift again. Lord, cause the Holy Spirit to give us wisdom, discernment, and understanding as we move forward in these days. Lord, cause us to be the effective witness. Lord, cause us to be efficient Christians. Lord, I thank you that, Lord, as we sow into you tonight, Father, you are sowing into us. Lord, everything that we need good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over. In Jesus' name we pray, amen and amen.
Thank you for listening to this message from the One New Man Network. For more information, please visit us at theonenewman.com.